Hello and welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dino Varley, founder and CEO of Project Purple, and today we're on the phone with a special guest, a guy, a brother of mine from another mother, we'll say, Johnny Immerman <laughs> of Immerman Angels and Closed Talk. Johnny, thank you for joining us on the Project Purple Podcast. Dear Sam and team, thanks so much for having me. Flattered to be here and uh, awesome with all the good work you do for the community so flattered to, flattered to be here with you guys well I, I really appreciate taking time out of your busy schedule and, and I'm for the folks listening at home I am sincere I'm not making jokes here um, you know we when I started Project Purple someone introduced me to Immerman Angels and we're going to talk about that here in a couple minutes and I think we knew of each other I think we traded emails a couple times and I you know David who runs your endurance program I met multiple times but I didn't meet Johnny, and everyone was like, you gotta meet Johnny, and, and Cuz, who uh, is on our board, who was at Crowdwise, I think you knew him beforehand through some mutual I friends, do. right? Great guy, love Cuz, love Rob Wolf, love the Crowdwise guys. Yeah, I grew yeah. up with, uh, with the Wolf family. Yeah, that's right. Michigan, ironically, from high school. Cuz is great, they're all great. And so we- they love you. And you love each other, yeah. And we never met until Detroit, like two years ago, face to face. I think it was two, well, it's actually three years now. And I remember like, you were at the expo and we like hugged it out, man. And it was like two brothers that haven't seen each other in like 15 years, you know, we both went away to college, did our things. And then we kind of like, you know, two high school buddies and it was just awesome, man. So. Um, you know, you've been an inspiration for me. You've been on our radar screen for a really long time um, with all the things you've done and the experiences you've gone through. And, you know, when I had this idea to start a charity, you kind of have to really dig deep, Johnny. And, you know, um, sometimes you look at people that have done similar things. And like I said, you were kind of an inspiration for me and, and really inspired me. Um, one of the people that I looked up to. So when I got to meet you face to face, man, it was just awesome. And, and we've always kind of had this this kinship, this friendship, this brotherhood that we're in this space doing as much as we can for so many people that are suffering and battling. So uh, I really appreciate you taking the time and it's just great to have you on the podcast. Well, thank you do so much in team. Feeling is mutual, man. Mad respect for everything you do pancreatic cancer needs the help great work that you're doing and exactly man i remember it very well like it was yesterday seeing you two at the uh the triton marathon expo man in the D. and um yeah i'm just flattered to, to be here and that's right man collaboration is the key all of us working together all of us trying to solve real social problems making life better for people with cancer that's what everybody wants absolutely absolutely so on that Let's talk, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, your life and, and how you got started in Immerman Angels, because it's it's such a fascinating story. And, and for those, you know, we've got a pretty vast audience. So for those listening at home, you know, some of them may know the backstory, but why don't we share that story with them now, Johnny? Yeah, you know, I guys, like a lot of people out there, um, was diagnosed with cancer, uh, I was young, I was 26, went through testicular cancer. I was living in Detroit area at the time. Uh, went through chemo, went through surgery, had my left testicle removed. Um, pretty much find out you can't have children. You find out um, a lot of things happen real fast. How to tell your boss at work. I was in grad school at night. Just a lot of challenges and a lot of big traumas. And I'm a guy, you know, I think like you do, like a lot of us like to go to the gym every day. I didn't go for two years of treatment. It just really just knocked me really off my chair and uh, in a different life path that I thought I was in. And, you know, the most important part was that, you know, we, the cancer survivors, get to look at the system and say, where are the cracks? You know, we live through this. We, we go day by day for chemo, eight hours a day. You know, you're, you're there a lot. You have a lot of time to think and look at the system and where the cracks are and, for me, you know, I didn't know any other young adults that beat the same cancer. I would have loved to have literally met with a guy, bro hugged, but I'm like, dude, what did you go through? Like, where am I going? I'm scared. I'm nervous. Um, I'm sick. I'm tired. Like, how to deal, like, tell, how much to tell your family, how much not to tell. Like, just wanted some answers about where this crazy um, journey and marathon of cancer was going in that first two weeks 
that's really, really scary. And so we created Emmerman Angels that now we're very blessed. Everything happens as a team, you know, and the team is the power uh, that makes it all happen. But we've got over 10,000 uh, people and families who've been through cancer, um, survived it, or are thriving with it, or family members who have a member who's gone through it. But everybody's got a story, and they live across the globe, almost 100 countries in all 50 states, and there's over 10,000 registered trained survivors, family members of cancer are on call. And they're ready to take a call that could be tomorrow or in six months. But then we find people that are fighting cancer and alone. They call us and we simply match them with an angel. And those are the angels of women angels. Those are the survivors. Those are the people that have crossed the finish line that give hope and inspiration and knowledge to those who begin their journey today, that first mile of the marathon. So basically, that's what Immerman Angels does. It's free. Uh, we're blessed to be the, the world's largest network for one-on-one mentoring, you know, in this channel. So like we like to tell people, if you reach out to us, we have the world's best shot of finding you a survivor who wants to help you and they're the closest out there. So that's, uh, you know, it's just important, you know, that nobody fights cancer alone. Not 100% of people need this or want this or reach out. Some people have great families and support, but the ones who don't and maybe have few resources or don't understand the, the system and don't have family around or support, you know, this is really a game changer. Um, that have a buddy who really wants to help you, who really understands. And that's what Immerman Angels is. And anyone out there who knows survivors that want a mentor, all they do is go to immermanangels.org, I-M-E-R-M-A-N, angels.org, and they can sign up online and our team will call them and do a phone training or a Skype training if you're across the world and get you in the network. And if you know someone's sick, they just need to reach out. And uh, if you send them to us as well, we'll help them as well and help them find the best person. We're just sort of the, 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 the buddy system of the cancer world. I love that analogy, buddy system. So when was – I want to take a couple steps back here. So when were you diagnosed? You said 26, and I guess we're going to age you here. I will, yeah, I'm definitely old. I'm 43, so I'm not young. <laughs> you're uh, young, man. You're still young. <laughs> the mind's young. The body tells me different every yeah. single day. But the mind is young. I was 2001. I was 26. So that's going back, you know, almost 20 years. Um, two years or so, I was living on my mom's couch. Um, or I was, you know, at the hospital going through chemo and surgery and so forth. Um, even after chemo, I had one more 11-inch vertical um, incision through my abdomen um, to move the organs out of the way to cut four tumors out next to my spine, behind my kidneys. So um, that obviously knocked me down for quite a while. But, you know, you go through all those treatments, and it doesn't matter if it's testicular cancer, it doesn't matter if it's brain cancer or pancreatic cancer or bone cancer in your toe. There's someone on, in this, on this planet, on this world, who's almost had an identical experience. And that's what Emma to do is to connect those dots. Those two people are in the same room. And the beauty, D, as you know, what we both see in this whole social impact world is survivors care. By and large, the vast majority want to do stuff like this. They want to help. They're grateful. They want to find meaning and purpose. There's something positive out of this scary, tough fight and journey. And on the other side of it, they've got a gift. Their gift is their story and their knowledge and their experience. And and you give that friendship and that story to somebody else uh, who's identical to you, um, that friendship is just so powerful, so needed. Uh, without a doubt. And it's strength in numbers, I think, is something that it just came to my mind, Johnny. You know, it's like, and that's so powerful with some cancers is there's so many survivors and, and you know, connecting with fighters. Whereas on the for us, on the pancreatic cancer side, there's, there's not that alumni base. Um, so it, it, it becomes challenge, you know, but resources like immigrant angels are awesome because that challenge of connecting people kind of gets eliminated in some ways um, because you guys are able to connect them you know with survivors 
when did you start? What year did you start? So you get diagnosed in 01, you have two years of treatment. And when did, and I, I've got a, a note here, like what was the moment or when did the light bulb go off to do, to create immigrant angels? And what year was that? Was it immediately, was it during treatment or did it like, hey, the dust settles? And I think, you know, I have a different perspective from a caregiver, you know, where my motivation was. So, you know, going through that process, you said something that really kind of hit home with me where you, you, you see the system where the cracks are and you realize a lot when you're there a lot um, as a caregiver. And actually, patients are there all the time. Um, but was there a moment maybe during treatment or maybe post where the, that light bulb goes off or, you know, yes. when, when did that happen? There was, you know, it was really during treatment and yes, you see it as a caregiver you see it as a patient, but when you, anyone, any human, spends that much time in a hospital, you can't help but look around and see people isolated. It's a sobering, harsh reality. People alone, sitting in rooms alone, um, no friends, no family, maybe everybody works, maybe they're new to the city, and they just get diagnosed, and like, they're there every day, picking themselves to treatment. I mean, it's just a sobering, sad reality that we can fix if, again, strength in numbers, it, you know, it's network a team of everybody buddies up and we can solve this problem together as a team and you know I started really thinking about it when I was in treatment and it actually gave me a pump up and some inspiration so when I'm doing chemo I'm like hey when I beat this it's so clear to me what the crack is in the system that I'm going to just come back I'm not going to forget these people and if I live and I'm granted my life back I will go door to door I will spend some Saturdays some Tuesdays after work Thursdays afterwards, and I'll just give pump to people that are alone, and I'm a survivor at that point, I will give back, and I'll recruit others to do the same, and, you know, we just didn't know how, you know, it would grow so quickly, but I think based on the need and survivors, when they thought about it, it was just such an appealing, fun, you know, inspirational, rewarding thing to do, that survivors really wanted to join, and, and I started chatting with the doctors and the nurses and my local Detroit Cancer Center, and they were sending me people. And I'd be like, Johnny, we're going to hook you up with these people. We know some survivors that are really open. We think they'd be really into what you're doing. You know, let's build a team. And we just it was really building a team together. But it was a thinking about it during treatment, and then really after treatment, we started going back with a group of young survivors on Saturdays, you know, after work during the week, and just going door to door to door for years. And we really didn't become a 501c3 in 2006. That went on for like four years. And based on the trauma of my own treatment, I moved to Chicago. I just needed a fresh start. I knew I was rattled and my confidence was a zero zero on the scale. I'd look in the mirror and just start crying some days, being like, this person was half dead. You know, they're overweight, they're sick. I'm like, who is this person looking at me in the mirror? That can't be me. And, um, you know, it's just a lot of tough days. And anyone who's been through it really understands, you know, it happens to a lot of us. But, um, you know, again, you, you help each other through numbers and you share war stories and you know, everybody helps everybody heal. And all of a sudden, when you start talking to a group of survivors or even one, when you're going through it, you realize there's a community out there. You know, you're not alone. No one should go through this thinking that they're the only one in the world. That is a quick way to get depressed. And we all know all the studies out there that show that positive people, optimistic people, people that believe they can beat it, that come into the fight and expect to win and expect to get their life back, they simply beat cancer more often. The proven fact, over and over, tons of studies prove it, they're more likely to beat cancer, they're more likely to live longer. We've got to keep people's minds in the game. We've got to show them that there is a path, somebody's done it before, got to make sure they believe that they can do it. So was that, and I'm going to take us back maybe a little bit further back, was that something that you learned going through this or was that just your genetic makeup from, you know, when you were born and how you were raised family-wise? I, I met your brother there in Detroit, so I know you got a brother. I don't know the family dynamic if you have other siblings, but was that something, you know, that was just part of who you were, Johnny, before you got sick. And then as you got sick, hey, you realize this, but then also like you, and we've heard this a lot from survivors is they didn't necessarily change 
I mean, they're, they're, they're rocked, right? Like any cancer diagnosis, you're rocked. Like you're, you're, you're rocked off that boat or, you know, you're, you're, you're cut, you're, you're pushed off that path that you're on. But a lot of people tend to find themselves back on that path. It may take them a little while and they may need, and a lot of people need help to get back there, but then they're back on that path of positivity and, you know, just kind of routine. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that is definitely true. I mean, everybody I think feels very rocked, but I am definitely no one special. I just came from a family, which is very lucky, that was really into volunteering, being on board and giving back and thinking about the next person. Those are the lessons that I was taught. I feel like my school, my community, um, it was expected to be that way. You know, you were busy working, but then you always found time to help those that are sick or have less than you do or don't have money to get food or feed their kids or health insurance. And that, that was, you know, I was volunteering when I was in college in the summers. I mean, that's what you do. And so those are the lessons that I was blessed to have people around me that, that, that were role models and taught me those lessons. And so it seemed natural. I also love people. So it seemed natural to get together with a group of other survivors afterwards. I love meeting these guys and learning their stories. And some of them have become my best friends. And then together we're like, let's just hang out together, but let's, make a difference together and let's go back to the center and, um, and I know some people out there may think God that's really scary you're done don't you want to cross the finish line and not have to look at the center again or go back and I get that you know this isn't for everyone I would never pressure anyone to say look you need to mentor you need to dive back in it is scary and if it's emotionally too tough for some people then it's not for you there's nothing wrong with that you got to cope in the way that feels right but there's so many of us, over 10,000 already on the team, who love going back and love saying, look, this is a part of me. I'm going to embrace it. I'm not going to push it away. I'm going to find something positive. I'm not going to focus on how rough it was, on the being rocked part. I'm going to focus on what we do now, what we've learned. Like we're, we're, we're kind of, we try to look at ourselves that we've been tapped with a special gift, the experience of the, the knowledge and the story in our minds. And we've got to give it, because if you don't give that story, essentially that whole knowledge of the story, in my opinion, is sort of wasted. You know, it's not you to the potential of the good that it could be used for. That's some powerful stuff that you just rattled off, man. You know, and, and I appreciate you sharing that with us, because I think, as I said, when people are diagnosed with any cancer, it's a rock, right? Like it, it, you're rocked, I should say. Like that is, hey, your your life changes in that very moment when you hear those words, you have cancer. And I think regardless of the cancer, whether it's melanoma, pancreatic cancer, testicular cancer, breast cancer, that changes your life within an instant. And I think though, to remember what you just said is so powerful, man. So, so powerful. And so I appreciate you having the, the gumption to say that because um, I know for, for some people that's that's not an easy thing to do, Johnny. Well, thank you, man. You know, and like you said, strength in numbers. Nothing really positive and good happens in the world with one person. But when we're all looking together and we're chatting with idea climbing and survivors or anyone, any group is like, you know, like, here's a crack. We all see it. Like, let's find ways to work together and fix this crack and fill it. You know, we all get excited. Like, it was sort of like group motivation. It's kind of like going to the gym to me. <laughs> I mean, it's a different example. Maybe it's not a perfect parallel, but, like, when you go to the gym, I get better workouts because, like, people are around me and they're grunting on the machine or they're, you know, they're, they're breathing hard, they're hustling. You know they're working hard. And together, you're like, yeah, yeah I got to do the same thing. Like, you... you you just get in that energy. That's really what happened with a group of, you know, survivors and that sort of trait. We're like, wait, if we all work together, I think we all think we can really make a difference. And you know, we are the epitome, maybe the best example of all time of how a network, a group, the power is balanced between all of us, among all of us. You know, we don't know who's going to get the next call. We don't know who's going to find us who's diagnosed. And that's going to dictate who gets the next call, who's, who's a survivor. So, you know, we're only as good as our network. You know, it takes all of us to get this job done. Spot on, man. And it's so powerful, man. I, I'm just taking a lot of notes here. 
question for you though, and you, you mentioned this a couple times, the cracks in the system, right? And I, I think when you go through this, if anyone's ever gone through this, maybe they can um, understand what I'm going to say here. Why this crack? Why the network? Was there someone, I know you mentioned before, you know, 26 years old, you get testicular cancer. I mean, that that's, I mean, that's a young, I, I, I mean, I, I, unfortunately, I don't know what the statistics are for testicular cancer. If that's, I think that's fairly young, but I mean, I know looking back, I mean, of course we had Lance Armstrong, which is probably, you know, the most famous person to get testicular cancer and the battle he went through. And, and one of our board members, his brother was, was very young uh, when he was diagnosed. And then hearing your story, I mean, those are just two people that I know of. I mean, there was a, a, a family friend that I knew, but he was kind of in his 40s when he was diagnosed. And unfortunately, it was late stage and he, he unfortunately passed away. But w why this crack in terms of building this network? Was there something personally that you went through or something that you saw when you when you were like going through this? I'm just fascinated by that because there's so many tracks you could have went, right? I mean, you could have went into research, you could have went into like patient aid, or you know, you could have went into another vertical. Um, but, but why this crack of networking? Yeah, thank you for your question. The reason I think this crack was really clear to me, and the one I was the most kicking in by, because you're right, there's so many cracks. We need good people to keep coming out of the woodwork and filling all the cracks and joining teams to fill all those cracks, right? And then we're going to fix the system and make it better for everybody who follows with cancer after all of us and going forward. But I think, like, here's the visual that really hit me hard, and I really started to feel guilty with leaving my room, eight hours of chemo, pretty much Monday through Friday every day, first week of every cycle, um, total about five to six months of chemo. Every day I would leave my room with my IV pole, get there in the morning, and my mom, my brother, um, my friend stopping by, I had a couple buddies that were like residents or nurses at the hospital, they would come hang out with me. I had all these people in my room telling me jokes, making me laugh. I didn't even have a second to get down or depressed at that point because they were all in the room with me. They were yeah. all rooting me on and and all this positivity. But when I left the room, my people, hey guys, I'll be right back. I'm going down the hall to go to the bathroom. I would leave my room with all this positive energy. I'd walk down the hallway, and you cannot help but look in the glass, behind the glass, who else is in here? Room by room, as you go down the long corridor to the bathroom at the end of the hall. And I, I couldn't believe what I saw. Could not believe people were isolated in most of the rooms, the majority of the rooms, the sobering harsh reality is they're alone, sitting there, pumped with chemo, no family, no friends, with a blank face staring at a TV set. I'm like, I would get depressed if I was all alone. No people, no energy, and it just it felt guilty. Every time I walked by, guys, I really felt guiltier and guiltier. I get to go back in this great room with all these people and these of energy and positivity and these people don't have people and I was like it was wrong and that is really how I just kept focusing on this crack because I couldn't I couldn't turn away from it every time I walked down the hallway you look in a room you can't help it you know and you, I just you could, you could not miss it and to me that bothered me like crazy and every day I just thought guys this is over I'm going to start going into more rooms and start walking into the rooms and we're going to have credibility because we beat it. And we're just going to talk to these people. And we're going to give them pump-ups. And, um, and that's what we started to do. And so, you know, I think it was just a daily pounding of this crack. we like pounding me because it was so obvious that that's why this needed to be the crack that was the best to fill. And I'll also add a little bit to that. It was something that I knew we survivors could do. You know, like, I'm never going to be a researcher. I'm never going to be a, like a bioscientist or a biochemist or geneticist who's going to understand the granular cellular level, but I do understand the human part of it. We do understand how when you can't sleep at night before, the day before your first chemo because you're tossing and turning, you're so scared, you know, what that feels like. You know, what it feels like when a doctor says, yeah, you're probably going to be sterile, you can't have your own kids. What it feels like 
when you're on your day 31 of chemo and how sick you're going to be, how tired you're going to be, or not being able to work out when you love the gym and you love being athletic and you love moving around. Um, how feeling when you feel antisocial when you're normally like a guy that loves people. I mean, all those human aspects, to me, I was like, we can fill this crack because we know. We live through this. And I, I couldn't imagine that I was the only one with these fears. And I said, there's got to be other people out there that the same fears and challenges and sort of mental craving that I do. And uh, we got to make it a community. We got we to gotta make it normal. We got to make people know that you're not the only one. You're not crazy. But I can't tell you guys how many times you talk to people that are sick and they think they're crazy. I thought I was crazy a little bit. I was like, maybe I'm not. You know, the way I feel. And then you realize, talk to other young adult survivors. Man, we all feel it. We all feel so similarly. It's amazing, man. And to hear you tell that story, I got chills because I've been there as a caregiver and it's very similar parallel with my dad. My mom was determined when my dad was going for his infusion that you know we'd, we'd have family. He'd have his friends from his social club. Uh, my dad was retired, so it was a little bit easier, and a lot of his friends were retired to come and hang out with him while he was getting infusion. My mom would bring a picnic basket, Johnny, you know, with food for everyone in the quad, you know, and and that's just so powerful, man. It's like you take. I think when you're you're in that situation, like for for me as a caregiver, I, I just remember you know hearing you tell that story, man, just gives me chills because. There was, a, there was a point in time when um, there was a guy coming in for a treatment at Yale, when my dad was at Yale, and he looked like he was like in his 60s and he had a brain tumor and he was younger than me, but he came in off a city bus and he was eating Chinese food and a Coke. And at the time I was thinking, man, like my mom has this whole picnic basket of fresh food and I'm like, how can this be? Like, this is wrong. The system's wrong. Like, this is the crack. Like, how can this guy, how could people fight cancer and, and have to eat, you know, this food, which is not, in my opinion at the time, wasn't very nutritious. But you learn after, you know, like, hey, you're just eating calories. Whatever whatever sits with your stomach, you just eat when you're, when you're, when you're battling. And, and it may not be the most nutritious, but it's calories, right? And so that's just so powerful, though, to hear that, man. And that's just the fort... Foresight to see that, Johnny, is really, really impressive. What did you do for work prior to being prior to getting sick? Thank you, man. Yeah, I was, again, the team, as you know, too, the team make it happen. And working together is the only way, the only way to really have big social change. And uh, I did for work. I used to work in commercial real estate, kind of funny, wear a suit and tie every day. Now you can't get me out of a t-shirt, man. I wear t-shirts every day. <laughs> we're very casual hoodies, track jackets. I mean, we're very, we're very much into casual uh, apparel now. But for a cause, you know, uh, uh, the clothes talk. That's really what our whole um, social impact company, clothes talk, is about. Um, but I wore a suit and tie every day, and I used to work in commercial real estate. Um, I also was at night. I was doing uh, my MBA when I got diagnosed, so that I thought was my world. After I got sick, which is very typical for a lot of survivors, especially young ones, we sort of change paths. Yeah. And we look at life, and I'm like, hey, we're not here forever. But like, I just want to make a huge impact. I want to love what I do. I want to touch real lives, and I want to know that I add some value to the world, that like my life has a purpose here that's positive and uh, makes things better for the people. And um, so I really quit my job, and... Um, you know, part of it was a trauma, part of it was that I just like knew I didn't love my job anymore. And I moved to Chicago, um, I actually started another um, side company that I thought I would do in addition to Immerman Angel sort of as a volunteer. And the side company did not work out and um, it just kind of crashed to turn really. And so I was like, you know what, I really should just do what I really love the most and I'll figure out how to do it. I have no idea how we're going to build you know, a nonprofit that's functional and does this, but I know when I do this all day, every day, I'm happy. And it makes a difference. And people tell us that it's helping them every time. The one good thing about Everman Angels is that the feedback loop, right? Getting feedback from the people you help is sometimes as short as five minutes. It could be one minute. Sometimes mm -hmm. you match two people up and you introduce them, 
and one survived it and one just starting to fight, they get off an hour call, they both call you right away and say, oh my God, I love that guy. Oh my God, I love that guy. And they're saying like, what a great introduction. There was a great connection. And it's like, every time you hear that, that was the fuel. And so, you know, at a certain point, we're just like, let's just try to build this. Let's get aboard, let's make it a 501c3. And that was 2006. And um, in our 13th, 14th year, um, you know, we just kind of never looked back from social impact. And then ultimately, we learned from Intermittent Angels what helped us brand it and spread the word was after years of messing up our logos and our T-shirts and our apparel, we finally got it right. And in downtown central Bend, Chicago, our friends started rocking our T-shirts and our logo and talking about it and branding us and spreading the word. And a typical gym in Chicago, you might see three or four of these in one day at the gym, and that started happening. We're like, wait, let's do that for every charity so they get the exposure they deserve and they need. Um, but let's do it for free. And that was kind of like the birth of Close Talk. We're about a year and a half in um, with social enterprise companies. And basically, we make apparel and free online apparel stores and design the logos for awesome charities so they don't have to deal with the branding and how the design of the shirts and T-shirts and hats and track jackets should look, um, which brands are better, um, hosting an online store, responding to customers, dealing with um, customer problems or issues, like that's something that we're like, we want to solve that problem for all these charities so they don't have to deal with it and, uh, and do it for free. You know, charities never pay us a dollar. We basically um, sell to other people and drive traffic to closetalk.com, but the charities never pay us. We actually donate back to them and they do zero. That's awesome. That's really, yeah, that's our mission. And we got a long way to go, but we want to solve another major social problem. And uh, we hired somebody to run Intimate Angels. Yeah. Um, Stephanie Lieber, she's a lifetime, 20 year plus nonprofit executive, ran development for Children's Museum of Chicago, a much bigger group than Intimate Angels. And she runs us now as our executive director. Could not be happier. Uh, we're going to help the most people ever. One thing you learn is hire people smarter than you. Um, in those roles and watch them help the most people and get out of their way. And Absolutely. we love her and she's doing a great job. And we just got excited about this next um, project and this next challenge. And uh, that's kind of where we're at right now. Awesome, awesome. To go back to Immerman though, so 2006, you have this idea. So, and I asked about your previous work because I was kind of interested, like, if you had started a business before, if you were ever an entrepreneur, because I think, you know, I've heard a lot and read a lot about, you know, people who do these kind of things like you and I have done, <laughs> you know, like what's our background? Um, you know, and I, and I always tell people like I, you probably get a lot of calls as well, like, hey, from friends and maybe from, from a lot of strangers. Hey, I have this idea to start this charity because I've been touched by X. What do you think? <laughs> And I always go into those calls or those emails or those texts like, oh, have you ever done this before? <laughs> you know, and you got to be careful. Um, so did you in 2006, one of the questions I had, did you have a business plan or were you just like, hey, man, we're going to run really quick? Um, you know, you just mentioned, you know, having really good people around you, really smart people, letting them run, which I know is part of the success that you guys have built there with your team. And I've gotten really close to some of those folks. Um, I've been really blessed to, to, to get to know like David and, and some of the other folks there on the team just from visiting in the home office there in Chicago and then just seeing them at various events throughout the country. But what was, you know, in 2006, you know, what was the plan and did you have a plan or did you just run because you knew this was in your heart, you knew it was the right thing, you loved what you do and you knew, I, I think when people lead with their heart, and have passion the rest is kind of like ancillary like it's gonna happen it's just like you said something early on like you didn't think it was gonna blow up this quick and i think that's kind of the thing when you lead with your heart and your passion you don't think those kind of things in you just go if that makes sense totally makes sense and yeah i'm i'm probably a little unusual in that way most people are gonna think through of a business plan i we had none of that we basically <laughs> got a few board members that help us draw up a quick business plan just so you have to apply for a 501c3. But I really felt that the feedback was instantaneous when you hooked up somebody that you met who was sick with cancer with a 
survivor that beat the same thing. They would tell you about the strength of the bond that they talk all the time, that one visits the other in some cases, and it was just, it helped them. They're positive now. They're in a better space. That was like all the juice I needed to be like, this is working. Like, these friendships are really working. And they're working on both sides. So the survivors would oftentimes call us immediately as well and say, oh, my God, like, I was so therapeutic for me to share my story. I've been mentoring Peter for the last, you know, month or two. And, God, I feel good. Like, I'm doing something to give back, and I'm helping this guy, and, and I know I'm helping him because he just really wants to know me and know more stories. We just click. And so because that feedback, I was like, yeah, let's just do this. Let's just, as a team, let's just keep building it. We will figure it out along the way. It's a much of a faith-based model. It's sort of my um, my feelings. But you have to have a lot of faith, I think, in this world, whether it's cancer or building, um, you know, a social organization to help people. You just got to have faith that you can just keep taking one step at a time. The dots will connect later. Or as Martin Luther King says, one of the greatest quotes of all time is, you know, you want to go from this level and there's a staircase above to the next level. You can visualize where the second level is. You know what it looks like. You can see it, but you don't know how you're going to get there because the staircase, you can't see every step on the stairs. But you know taking that first step and maybe even the second step, the third one somehow along the journey will appear. It takes a lot of faith. And a lot of dealing with um, uncertainty, um, but that's definitely my nature. I would say it takes me a little while to get the courage to do it, and then all of a sudden when I get enough courage and I get enough people around me that I'm like, okay, we can do this, and we all dive in the pool together, um, you just go forward. So I'll be very transparent. There was not a really good business plan. There was nothing more than we know and hooking up this guy with that guy or this girl with that girl works. And we just trust it. Let's just keep doing it, and let's see where we can take this thing. Let's see how far we can reach and how many people we can we can help. And um, you just don't quit. You know, uh, we, we fail every day. I make mistakes every day with eliminate and of course, but you just keep picking yourself up and saying, that didn't work. Let's try something else. And let's try something better to tweak the model, and eventually we're going to figure it out. Well, that's life, though. You're always growing and learning, right? And, you, and I think the, the amount of uncertainty in your life, I have this quote, the amount of uncertainty in your life determines the quality of your life, right? So um, if you kind of really think about that, you know, if you come into work every day and do the same things and expect different results, it's not going to happen, right? And sometimes you have to kind of get really uncomfortable to get to that next level or as you said, Martin Luther King's quote, like you may not see the end of the stairwell, but you got to take the first step, the second step, maybe that third step to get to that fourth, fifth, and sixth step. But you won't know that until you take those first three steps, you know, and that's the biggest challenge is taking those first three steps. So I I appreciate the honesty there, man. And and for our listeners at home, you you, you know, I know you've mentioned closed talk, which we're going to get to here in a couple minutes, but you're still involved in Immerman Angels. You're just not running the day-to-day. I know you're involved in the social media. I've seen pictures of you at, at various events. You're still rocking the, the T-shirts and the hats. Every time I see you, you always got kind of an Immerman Angels uh, gear on. So you're still involved in, in that. It's just not in the day-to-day. That's exactly right. You know, And I love that quote you just said. Dude, that's a great quote, man. You can't expect the same. You can't expect different results when you're doing the same thing every day. Yeah. So true. You want to grow anything, you gotta take some risk and you gotta stomach a little bit that's different and gotta get out of your comfort zone, man. Love that attitude. Love that quote. And you're exactly right. I would say I'm I'm part time in angels. I'm I talk to the team every day, or I'm texting or emailing every day. Not a day goes by, or I'm in the office um, when I can be, but I'm not in the office a lot. I would say very part-time. I'm at a lot of events. Um, if there's certain groups that want, you know, Stephanie or myself to speak um, as executive director or as a co-founder, you know, I'm there to help with things like that. Um, but in terms of operations and day-by-day, the smart stuff, I like to say, the strategy <laughs> about how to take this to the next level, my brain, man, they don't line up to the team we've hired. We hired smarter people than me, that's for sure. Let them run with the ball. It's amazing how great and how much bigger you get and how much more lives you get when you get the right people in there and you 
get out of their way and let them carry the ball. Because, you know, this whole thing is not about any one person. It's about um, the whole community of cancer, right? There's 13 and a half million living cancer survivors just in the U.S. alone. It's a big community of, of survivors and mentors that we can tap into. We've got 10,000, but we need, you know, many we can get that want to join and help. And then the people that are sick, I mean, and the doctors and the nurses and social workers. It's really about everybody together. So that's what I love about it. You can take any one existing piston or part of this engine and take it out of the system, and the system still goes. And it still continues, and it still, you know, makes a difference. And so um, that part we really love. But, yes, I'm always involved. I'm not going anywhere with the team. I love that. And um, I'm lucky they let me still hang around the system once in a while. <laughs> I like how they let you hang around, yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So you mentioned yeah, it before. Good people. Yeah, yeah. Good people they let stick around. All the others, eh, I don't know. Um, we mentioned it before. So you had the T-shirts. And, and for our listeners at home that don't know this, like the Immerman Angels, you guys got the black shirts uh, with the white logo. It's just sharp. It pops. And so um, – you had the t-shirts at the gym and now we're going to shift gears here to the clothes talk. And, um, my first, and I'll share my story and then I, I want you to go into the, the specifics of it. Cause my story is going to be a little bit different. I think when we met in Detroit, you mentioned it. And then I saw you, I, I, I sent a, a, a picture. I don't know if you know this story. I think it was last summer. It was like August. Yeah. It was last August. I was in town to promote some of our events that we, we've got going on in the Chicagoland area. And I was down on Michigan and I was walking back to my hotel and I see the closed talk. It's not a bus, it's not a van, it's the truck, man. And it's like, it, it's an old, it, well, it's not an older truck. It looks like a UPS truck, but it's branded. It's got strobe lights or uh, lights, it's got speakers. And you were driving it and you were stopped at an intersection. And I was like, oh man, it was like two blocks down, but you know, it just sticks out because of the branding, which is awesome. And I, I, I started to like run because you had a red light. And then I was like, you made the turn. And I think I just got probably like a hundred yards. And I was like, Johnny, like screaming. And then I was like, oh, he's not going to hear me. And then I was like, oh, maybe he'll get stopped on traffic on Michigan. But then I was like, I'll just snap a picture. So I snapped a picture and sent it to Dave Lothian in your office. And I was like, Dave, I just saw Johnny in the clothes talk truck, but he didn't see me. But it was so awesome to see that. So um, I know you mentioned it before. So that's my clothes talk, Johnny. I've seen you in Chicago driving around in the truck, which was just like, I was so pumped. And it was like, again, seeing your brother and like down the block. And I was trying to catch you. I couldn't. But uh, so um I know when we met in Detroit, you talked about closed talk. You briefly mentioned it. So what was the inspiration around that? And I know you mentioned a little bit about it, um, but I'd love for you to share that story. Well, thank you, man. I'm sorry that I missed you, man. Anytime <laughs> I, if I would have seen you, I would have turned right around and picked you up, buddy. Uh, next time. The next no time. Next it. time. We built that basically just to drive awareness and traffic. It's really only a branding truck, 100% of the 107-plus charities that we work with and do um, the apparel store for them. It's all bought and sold online and drop shipped. So we don't sell out of the truck, but we drive it around just to kind of drum up some awareness in uh, in the downtown Chicago. We've taken it to Detroit before, we've taken it to some other cities, but mainly in Chicago. The idea, though, behind Close Talk and the reason why we're always trying to brand this website is because, you're right, we learned that if people believe in the cause enough and you can inspire them enough and you made the apparel and the logo brand and pop and the quality high and fit them well and you check these five boxes and being like, I love this shirt, I like the way it looks, black and white's cool, I can wear it at certain events, and it's nice enough that I don't feel uncomfortable, I can really make a difference by wearing it and locking this, this, this logo. If we can do that, we can really change the world. You know, we can really brand all the causes because it's just a matter of time. If people love the shirt and they wear it once a week, twice a week, wear it to the gym, wear it to a Cubs game, wear it to a Yankees game, wherever you are, 
You know, if you're rocking it, you are volunteering in really a new way. It's a new shape and form of volunteering that you don't have to even give that much time, really, any time. If you're just, well, I'm going to go to the game anyway tonight or go to the gym anyway, I'm just going to rock the logo. I'm actually volunteering while I'm working out. Because someone, many people oftentimes are seeing that logo. Someone might even walk up and be like, dude, I've seen two of these in the gym today, which is what happened with them in the Angels. Do two of these today. Like, what is this? All of a sudden, you make a friend. You connect face-to-face, which I think the world needs a lot more of right now, versus online, you know, and connecting with people uh, through social media. You actually look at someone in the eye, face-to-face, flesh-to-flesh, on the ground, not high-tech, low-tech. And you're like, oh, let me tell you, thanks for asking, buddy. This group is called... You know, Emmerman Angels, we, we, I'm a cancer survivor. We help people that are fighting cancer. We just survive or like them. And before you know it, that person's like, oh, I know, now I know that brand. I recognize the logo. And now I understand. And so if I remember this next month, next year, my mom, my brother, my cousin, my friend gets diagnosed, I'm going to send them to this group. It's free and they'll help them. Awareness, people understanding the mission is what leads to impact. And it also leads to a lot of other positive things for charity. It might lead to volunteers. It might lead to future board members. It might lead to donors. Lead to people that come to your events. Or to an inspired person that just says, I'm going to carry the message myself. And maybe I'll get a t-shirt too, and I'm going to rock that logo. Because I think that's a great idea and a great cause, whatever the cause is. That's what got us to close talk. And we wanted to make it free, which it is. Charities never pay us ever. Uh, we don't want to take their money. They don't have it anyway. And we don't want to take their time. And we don't want to take their promotional bandwidth because we don't have those things. You know, they're overworked and underpaid. And um, we're trying to help so many people with such a small group of people with limited funds. So the way Close Talk works, 107 charities have partnered with us. We build out a free online web store. They basically apply online. There's a charity application link. And they upload their logo, their mission, and some bullet points about them in a video. And we build a page on closedark.com where it's a mini website where you can read all about them, get inspired, Charity X, whatever it is, whatever cause that does great things for animals, education, could be for at-risk youth that really just need to get away from sexual abuse, physical abuse, in the home, there's so many great groups that solve so many of these problems out there, but people just don't know their brand. So those groups come to us, partner with us, we build their online web store, we promote them and on a page, their page on our site, with their mission and so forth, and then if people get inspired enough, the most expensive thing we sell is $59. T-shirts are 20 We keep it reasonable, everything's high quality, everything's black and white or gray and white, you're right, it pops, it's clear. Um, we make it really clean. I think charities are awesome, but they just, not their fault. They try to put too many things on oftentimes. So did we with Intermin Angels in the beginning. And you lose people because it becomes less cool. And then it becomes one and done t shirts where, you know, too many colors, too many bright colors. They wear it at an event and then they chuck it. And we're like, wait, there's definitely an opportunity here for more branding if we can make it their favorite shirt and believe in that cause. So really, we inspire people to rock charity logos. Uh, we inspire people to become an ambassador, support a cause meaningful to you, and wear it as much as you can. Spread the word. Meet people. Spark a conversation. Spread the word. Be something positive. You know, help those charities brand themselves. If we can do that, everybody across the world one day is rocking a logo for something that's positive and helps people and makes the world better. We're going to make the world so much better by educating everybody about every cause out there that just simply needs the awareness of the branding help. That's awesome, man. I mean, I, I know you and I have talked about this at, at a, you know, a very high level, but uh, and I was just looking at the website here. We had it up on the screen here in our podcast studio. 
there's some big names there and some so this is for all charities because there's some big names in there you've got immigrant on board of course mda and then you've got share streets there um some some local based there chicago charities and some national charities and then you've got some smaller charities as well so if there's someone listening to this podcast that runs a charity regardless of the size you guys will work with them that's exactly right Dee. i'm glad you said that we care about the quality of the message of the mission that's the important part is what they do some of our charities have one person but we're like you think of it like i hate to use an analogy because it's really you know so much less human but it's kind of like the stock market that like there's a young stocks out there that have great ideas to solve real problems but social impact if you're one guy we're like this person if they had more awareness they are going to solve a real problem in the world and make it better we're going to invest in that person you know it costs us 150 to 200 dollars per charity to onboard because we got to pay our designers our graphics guy our, our website guy we got to build out their page we got to upload their video like we have to pay but we'll invest in them knowing that if we can create more exposure for them, they're going to make the world better, we will take on that one person that maybe does this as a volunteer, and not even as a full-time job with a small budget. You could be tiny, but if we love your idea, and we think your idea is real value, we want to help get a megaphone for your idea to get it out there for you and, and, and raise, spread awareness. Some of them are huge, like MDA has offices you know, all over the country. Muscular Distribute Association, Global Lime Alliance, which is in your neighborhood in Connecticut. Love them. They're huge. They're the biggest in the world for Lyme disease. Um, But another big one, um, and I think they're actually our second or third most sales is Global Lime Alliance. Their people rock the tea. They love it. They wear it. We get uh, at least once a week, we get somebody from Global Lime that's going on the site. And, and buying something and rocking it and getting more logos out there. But they're really big into it. Um, but yeah, you could be huge, you could be small. And we hope that we get every good cause. That's really what matters to us. Are you really making a difference in the world? If your mission got out there and your awareness was out there and more support, how much more good could you do in the world? Those are the groups that we want to help. It's powerful, man, and and I just I wrote this before community, man. You got a knack for building a community uh, here in in both directions. In terms of you built a community with Immerman Angels of networking, and now you're building community within a community of charities to help bring awareness. So it's just so powerful stuff, man. And I commend you. Kudos to your parents, Johnny, and your your siblings. You know, I, I truly believe family is a big part in how we are all you know, brought up and, and what we become and the role models we have along that journey. And, and parents are a big part of that. Siblings are a big part of that. So kudos to your family. You mentioned before, you know, your family was there for your treatments. And so um, that probably had a lot to do on, on why you're doing what you're doing, um, if not everything of why you're doing what you're doing. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you, man. I do credit the people around me, man, for really everything that I'm involved in. I mean, it takes a team. You know, no one, this is true, if any one person tells you they built something, like, don't believe them. (laughs) No one person builds anything great. It's idea climbing, it's teams, it's passion, it's group think, it's all these things that we do together. I mean, like, you just use the word community. And the word collaboration, I love it. I mean, that's really how we make the world better and solve real social problems, you know, groups of people. That's the best part. It's a journey. It's fun to build things that fix problems, make the world better together. You know, it's also fun sitting at home building anything, even if it's great by yourself. And I just don't think it can be done personally. Well, <laughs> that's you have, my opinion. You but have nothing. Think about it, though. You have no one to share that with, though, right? Like if you build something by yourself, like think about all the great inventions of of life. And we can dial this back to like, you know, the iPhone. Like think Steve Jobs. So Steve Jobs had this idea and whether he stole it from someone or someone else came up with that idea. He ran with it and he got other people excited about it. And look at what that's done, you know, for technology and, and what it's doing for disease and you know, all these other, so many facets of it, you know, but that's just one example, right? Um, but so, but that's, 
building things with others and not just kind of siloing it by yourself. And and I take that aspect, you know, if you look at the advances in cancer, if we just stay on cancer and stay on topic here, like you look at all the major advances in any cancer that have occurred over the last 50 years, it's been community and it's been collaboration. There hasn't been one doctor that has found a cure or an advancement in a particular disease by himself, start to finish. He's had researchers in the lab and he's collaborated with other folks. I mean, granted, I'm sure people take credit for novel treatments, but they probably got that notion or got you know, inspiration off of another project from another researcher who brought it from A to, let's say, E, and then they took it from F to Z, right? So you got to have that. And that's how we're going to change things is by working together and collaborating. No one's going to do it alone. So I commend you again for having the initiative and the vision to do these both these large tasks in, you know, connecting the cancer community with immigrant angels and having the, 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 the sight of that and seeing the crack and then trying now to do this with Close Talk. I've got three questions for you, Johnny. And this goes back to a little bit about your diagnosis. What are some of the things that got you through it? And I know we mentioned a lot of stuff here on the podcast, but kind of revisit this. Maybe there's someone who may be going through testicular cancer. It might even be pancreatic cancer. It could be any cancer, but I think this is important. Um, What are some of the things that got you through it, that kept you positive? Thanks for asking. You know, um, the things that keep me positive, number one, family, best friends, community. Couldn't have done it without them. No question about it. I also, um, part of community, but my oncologist, uh, who ironically treated me in Detroit, Dr. Maha Hussein, she's now the number two assistant director at Northwestern in Chicago. And I, we just keep following each other. She moved to Chicago um, after I did, but... Um, she's now like four blocks from me, so we're, we're very close, and I love having her nearby. But I couldn't have done it without her. You know, I needed the captain to really help guide us through this journey of a couple of years of cancer treatment. Um, it takes people, community, couldn't have done it without them. And also, um, I'm very blessed that I had health insurance. You know, people who don't, you know, you feel for all these people. You need groups like New Day Foundation, which is a closed talk partner on our site. There's another group called Angels of Hope, actually both Detroit-based charities. Pink Fund is another Detroit-based charity. All three of those nonprofits help with funding people and families with cancer to pay their bills, sometimes medical bills, sometimes their rent, when they're going through treatment, and make sure you can um, stay healthy financially. Um, if you don't have health insurance, um, well, you do have it, and it's still expensive. Um, you know, you got to make sure that people aren't more stressed about paying their bills than they are paying the doctor to be able to dictate chemo to the treatment. I mean, they don't need that financial stress on top of the already stress of cancer. And I was very blessed to have insurance and have the access to the cancer treatment. But I think it's so important. we got to find ways that everybody has access. No matter how old you are, what color you are, what religion you are, where you're from, where you live, you are part of this country. You should have access at any age um, to to medical care. That's great. And I think that's on all of us to solve that problem to make sure everybody has access to treatment. That's awesome. And there are so many groups out there. And I mean, I know we hit a lot on Immerman Angels and the networking and the and the strength that that provides, but there's so many other groups out there that provide assistance um, in various ways. I mean, we were just talking about this the other day, and I don't know if you guys caught wind of this, but now Airbnb, you know, for people who travel more than 50 miles for treatment, now get assistance for staying at Airbnb if they're seeking cancer treatment outside of 50 miles of their primary residence. So there's a lot happening. Um, and, and, you know, I think something that you said, you know, having that community, and I think part of that community, Johnny, and I don't think you'll disagree with this, is working with folks like Immerman, Project Purple, and so many other great groups that are out there to help people. So that should be part of your cancer treatment or your cancer journeys community is working and aligning yourself with groups. And, you know, there's plenty of resources out there. 
Last two questions. What's the best place for people to find more information about Immerman Angels first? Yeah, you know, if you know a family out there that wants to be a mentor or a person who's a survivor, wants to give back and you know, be a part of this positive energy and help the next person, um, it's ImmermanAngels.org, I-M-E-R-M-A-N, angels.org, or call a toll-free number anywhere in the world, 866-IMMERMAN, I-M-E-R-M-A-N, uh, or 312-274-5529. Um, uh, that's one great way to, to become a mentor or if somebody is going through treatment or you know someone that's sick, send them in. If you get them to us, we do everything from there. We just can't help people that can't find us. And again, awareness, which is the reason we really built Close Talk, the awareness for these models and these charities that do good things, um, is key. Without awareness, you know, how much impact can you really have? Not a lot. Um, so on either side, someone that needs help with cancer, someone that wants to give back and, and find positive with cancer, if you send them to us, have them call us or sign up online, that's all they need to do. They sign up online, our call center in Chicago will call them or Skype them if you're in London or Berlin and um, get to know them and, uh, and help on whatever side they need. Get them involved. Awesome. And now... For closed talk, if there's charities out there or if there's people that want to support many of the charities, the 107 plus charities that you're working with, what's the best way for people to find information on closed talk? Best way is we want people to use closed talk, C L O Z talk.com, to use it as a directory. Even if you don't buy anything, that's totally fine. But use it as a directory to learn about vetted, awesome, impactful, powerful, important nonprofits that are 501Cs, every single one of them. They're in good standing with the government. They're all vetted by us. Um, they're great ideas that you just may not know yet. So you can use it as a directory, as a resource of learning what's out there. And uh, maybe you're in West Virginia and you want to learn about which causes are near you. Um, you can watch a video, you can read their website, you can search by West Virginia, you can search by keyword. It could be cancer, it could be whatever you want. There's 15 different categories as well that you can choose from. If you're more interested in animal charities, that's a category. If you're more interested in military veterans, that's a category. If you're more interested in health care and wellness, things like Abraham and Angel, that's a category. You can drill down whatever way you want, but learn about what's out there because so many great causes that just need a voice. And that's really the number one thing we want to accomplish with, with Closed Talk, branding and awareness for these missions that really make the world better, that just not enough people know. And if that voice gets out and enough people learn, we believe enough people will care enough, spread the word, maybe Rocketeer with that logo on it, but do something to get involved with that cause, these causes will continue to make a positive difference in our world. And that's, that's really why Closed Talk is, is something that we think can, can solve a real social problem in the world. Awesome stuff, brother. Hey, I want to thank you from all of us here at Project Purple for taking time out of your busy schedule, Johnny, to share with us your story Immerman Angels and Close Talk. This has been awesome. I took so many notes here and, and just a couple things I'm going to spit out here really quick is just community, positivity beyond what you can imagine and the buddy system and how powerful you know, having that support system and, and people around you and, and building that community is so so critical to fighting cancer and then what you're doing on the charity side and i gotta tell you i'm i'm not i'm completely sincere i'm not trying to kiss ass here man is that uh the world needs more people like johnny immerman so thank you for inspiring our community and what you're doing and continuing to inspire the the, the people of the world man and, and your positivity man because uh it's something really, really special. I'm sure you've heard that before, but uh, I'm telling you firsthand. And the next time I see you, I'm going to give you a big, giant bear hug, brother. I love it, brother. Listen, you are a good man. Sam, you're a good man, too, for helping out here. 
V, I appreciate your kind words, brother. I look forward to that big bear hug, man. And mad, mad respect for you. The world also needs more people like you, man. You went through this as a caregiver. You've been through um, cancer and pancreatic cancer. You know how hard it is. And you stepped up to the plate, man, to make a difference. And, you know, that's what the world needs, that people see a crack. You see a problem. And clearly what you're doing is a problem that needs a lot of help. And you've taken on a major, major challenge. But you're doing it. And uh, you're working hard. You're, you have a great team you're, you put together and continuing to build. And um, I'm just rooting for you every step of the way. Always here to help you, brother. Mad respect and love, man. And, and we're the lucky ones, right? We get to meet so many other good people in the social impact space who care about others. And uh, isn't that what makes life great, man? It's the friendships and the people who care about others. That's, we're the lucky ones that get to, get to hang out with people who really, really care. So uh, thanks for your kind words. Thanks for having you know us in this mission, both these missions on there. Keep up all the good work you're doing, buddy. Awesome, Johnny. That's a wrap, and let's keep filling those cracks. Yeah.